This is the Hustler Sports 30 podcast with Justin Hershey, Sam Curtis, and Andrew Wilf. This week, the hosts discuss Vanderbilt men's basketball's tough loss to Alabama and review Vanderbilt baseball's opening weekend series. Welcome back into Rand Hall. It's another edition of the Hustler Sports 30 podcast. As always, I am your host, Justin Hershey, joined by Sam Curtis and Andrew Wilf. We're happy to be back on the mic today, but it's coming off of a kind of a brutal night last night. I was uh, playing the role of student actually last night, so I was not in the press box, but we had some coverage for you if you haven't checked it out on our website. But Vanderbilt men's basketball suffered a tough one last night. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're so close. Uh, and it's a shame that it just feels like if they had Robbins and they had Chapman for the whole season, we've been saying this, but they could have developed that chemistry in these games. Eventually, over the course of the season, you steal a couple and you get some important wins to, to boost you into the tournament, but it, it might just be a little too late for that. And what's frustrating about this game, you look at the stats, you see nine missed free throws, 75% from the free throw line, you think. You can't you can't win games against top twenty five teams when you shoot like that, and then you think of the lineup at the end of the game w- that we're going to talk about later with Coach Stackhouse, which I find to be, and I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans find to be, just a sense of confusion because th- that lineup wasn't on the court a lot. And what are you trying to do at the end of the game? Do you next time would you call a timeout with twenty seconds left? So. There's a lot to gather. I think the game fell apart in the middle of the second half when Alabama went on a run. And we'll touch on all of that, but, I mean, just the emotional side first. Like, what an excruciatingly painful way to lose. And this is a Vanderbilt program. You guys are only sophomores, so you haven't endured the pain that I've endured (laughs) over my four years here. But there have been ways to lose, and this was just another one added to the script. Jordan Wright gets a point-blank look. We'll talk in-depth about that play and about that last possession in, in a few minutes, but it's a point-blank look. It's a look that he probably finishes 8 out of 10 times, maybe, and it just rolled off the rim. And if he makes that, I really do like Vanderbilt in overtime. I think Vanderbilt had a lot of the momentum. Scotty Pippen Jr. was completely controlling the pace down the stretch, getting to the free-throw line, drawing fouls. That just wasn't to be, and, and that's definitely frustrating. Yeah, I mean, they like they were down ten with four minutes left. Yeah, I think. eleven. Yeah, something like that. And you gotta like the momentum heading in, as you said. Uh, it would have been a really big category one or tier one win uh, for possible tournament hopes. But you know, we we can we still have the NIT alive, and they have to pick up a few wins to close it out. But that would be a huge huge win for Stackhouse's program still. And go- going off of that, that's the loudest I've ever seen Memorial Gymnasium in my two years. It's a good here. atmosphere. And I think the people watching on TV and listening on the radio could attest to that. It, it, it made it feel like Vanderbilt was a place that you don't want to play in. And maybe if Vanderbilt's on the road, they don't come back like that. So that's why I'm just like extra pessimistic when you think about the end of the second half. Really impressive how Vanderbilt started, but 
what what do you guys think like goes wrong like in the middle of the second half when that stuff happens i think i think first let's touch on this final play first because i think we can all agree that vanderbilt probably shouldn't have been in the position to be tied or down two when they were at the end of that game vanderbilt was pretty much leading up until about the 10 9 8 minute mark of the second half andrew like you mentioned and I think a lot of things went into that run. It was a 24 to 8 run for Alabama over 8 minutes of play. And we've seen Vanderbilt go through some tough stretches, some tough lapses in the game, some big runs. That stuff has happened a lot. I think what was mainly different about this one is um first of all, you got a guy like Javon Quinterly who shoots 24% from 3. We know he's a capable shooter. He's done it in the past. But then he nails three threes, two of which were really, really poor basketball shots, just bad takes, and they went down. And they didn't miss their free throws. It's it's really, really crucial, like you said, Andrew, in a game like that to make your free throws, and Alabama hit 88% of them. They also shoot 73% from the line on the season, so 140th nationally. So they shot way over their head at the line, which actually is just a ridiculous trend at Memorial. Like, Tennessee did the same exact thing earlier in the year to Vanderbilt, but I question some of the lineups that they had in the middle of the second half. I think that there's two things for me that that I question. One, there's way more Teren Frank than Jermaine mm. Mann. And the second thing is Robbins and Melora Brown, like Robbins is a center, but he's really a four. Like he plays like a four. He can shoot. He can, yeah. Why, why can't you put him in the in the game at the end of the game with, with 20 seconds left? I mean, with all due respect to Trey Thomas... You need you maybe want a shooter there to have a three point look. Well, what's Miles Studi doing? The best shooter on the Vanderbilt team and one of the best shooters in the SEC. So that's a lineup like I'm very confused about. I mean, granted, Frank plays really well at practice to Stackhouse, but I mean, he just doesn't show it on the court, and, and I, I haven't really seen anything. I want to hit on the Frank point for a second because uh, while I do agree, lineups with him in the lineup have not been entirely impressive. I think he's being thrown into a horrible situation. That's fair. Now that you have Liam Robbins and Quentin Melora Brown back, you should never, almost never not have one of those two on the floor. And Stackhouse, over his years, has really struggled to stagger guys, stagger his best players. And Taron Frank played almost five minutes yesterday at the five as a center. And that's not what he is. And Stackhouse told us that two weeks ago I asked him about Taron Frank, and he admitted that Taron Frank is not a five, and he's being asked to do things that he you know, previously never did before in his career. Vanderbilt was a minus nine when Frank was at the five yesterday, and they lost the game by two points. That's a huge swing, and for against an Alabama team that's really good on the offensive boards, even though they're small, they're really pesky, they steal a lot of offensive boards, there's no reason to not have QMB or Robbins on the floor in the middle of the second half. Yeah, and either way, when you're playing against an opponent who's ranked in the top 25, might be a little more skilled than you or or whatever it is, you you just can't budge. Like we saw in the South Carolina game, once Vanderbilt let, you know, a couple points slip, the floodgates open. And you saw that at like, you know, the middle of the half against Alabama. You just can't give them an inch or they'll take a mile against good teams in the SEC. So when you play... Frank for five minutes and by the way like Jermaine Mann has at least had more experience maybe but it's just tough to to have that kind of run and come back and we've just seen that again and again this year piggybacking off of that I think the best game to compare last night's to before the game was LSU similar type of game a, a, a team seated around 20 and 
Vanderbilt went in as around four or five point underdogs. And the difference in the LSU game was, I mean, one, Chapman was playing. Obviously, that, huge that makes a yeah. huge difference. But also, there's a sense of energy when you don't let up runs and you don't let the other team shoot three-pointers like they did last night. And then that's what that's what was happening. Alabama took control in the second half, and then Vanderbilt had to play catch-up. And that's just tough when you play that way, and it wasn't natural for them. I just don't really understand. I feel like they hadn't practiced being in a situation like that in the final 30 seconds. That's what... What I keep confu- get keep like wrapping my head around. Yeah, and let's hit on that last thirty seconds because I think when you look at the game in its entirety, Vanderbilt did a really good job defensively against the tough Alabama core guys like J.D. Davison, Jaden Shackelford, Keon Ellis. Those are those guys aren't kept down very easily, but Vanderbilt held those guys to t- to what was it eight of twenty three from the field combined. That's really really good defense. Credit to Tyron Lawrence and Jordan Wright for a lot of that because they were really sticking those guys. But when you look at this last 30 seconds, I think you could cut it a couple different directions. Noah Gurley finally misses a free throw for, um, or it wasn't Gurley, who was it? Uh, Miles. Miles finally misses a free throw for Alabama. They're only third miss of the game. 24 seconds left. Stack had called a timeout the previous time to set up an offense after a free throw. This time he doesn't go for it, and I think that that's okay. What he said after was they drew up a play to get a three-pointer for Trey Thomas. I'm not thrilled about the idea of drawing up a potential game-tying or game-winning three for Trey Thomas. I think Studi's your best three-point shooter. I agree with you, Andrew. Probably should be him in that position, but I think Stack likes how Thomas moves and shoots on the move, and so that was the play. The play worked perfectly, but what Jordan Wright saw was plenty of space open on the right side. Down two, I want a layup rather than a 31% three-point shooter taking a shot for the win. So, And I want my guys to be basketball players. Like, I want them to be able to work in the moment and make split decisions. And this was a good decision. The ball just didn't go in. And I know Scotty's going to get a lot of attention, but... I don't know. He's just been getting. He's just so consistently getting fouls and getting a call. Yeah, and it's just part of the game. And at a certain point, you just like why? Why are, are we drawing up a play for Trey Thomas when Scottie Pippen has been? He's he's not like cold. <laughs> like no. he just well, the scored. Thing with, the thing with Pippen, they knew. I mean, uh, most of the time you're gonna go to the ball with them to him. He's gonna be double teamed. The play was to give him to off-screen him, and then Trey would take the shot. I think Jordan did the right thing, and he makes that layup nine times out of ten. The only issue I have with that, I don't think Pippen should should be getting the ball because they would have expected that. Put Studi in that situation instead of Trey and put Liam Robbins on the baseline and put Trey Thomas outside of the game. I think you just have a better chance. But, I mean, Jordan makes that layup nine times out of ten, and I think we can all agree on that. No, I, th- I think at the end of the day, you can't really fault what obviously what happened in Jordan's heads up play to make it to the rim. It's kind of unfortunate just right. on some level. And, and, you know, we can talk about the last play, but there's obviously a bunch leading up to it. But I don't know. I just think I think when you're when it's in crunch time, I realized in it's a little bit different from NBA in terms of like, you know, give it to your best player. But at a certain point, you give it give it a chance to your best player well, and you can't be faulted for that. Why I agree with you is because they were down two. If they yeah, were down exactly. three, I really like the play call. It's one of their best sets. They've got it to work plenty of times this season, and I'm okay with that. Trey Thomas gets the shot, and he misses. He misses. You drew up a good play. B- 
but down two yes. after Pippen Jr. had just drawn like 12,000 in a row. I kind of agree with you. I feel like put him in a pick and roll with, I think, Liam Robbins over QMB, even though I understand why QMB was on the floor. He knows what they're doing better. He's better attuned with the off- in tune with the offense. But I don't know. I feel like you have to draw up two things in that timeout, and the second has to be what is Scotty getting downhill and how is Scotty getting downhill. That wasn't what they drew up, but I mean, it's unlucky that Wright missed that free throw. Look, Wright was plus four, plus what was he? Plus fourteen, I believe, on the night. That's the best on the Vanderbilt team. Played really, really stingy defense. He did shoot one of six, and they can't win when you know Jordan Wright and Miles Studi are combining for just seven points. It's also a crime that those two guys are taking just nine shots. They need to shoot more. And I put that more on Stackhouse than I do on these individual guys because Miles Studi isn't a guy who goes and gets his own bucket. He's a guy that you know works out of the offense, works off of sets, and I don't think they designed a ton for him yesterday. I know he's hampered by an ankle injury right now, but I really think it's criminal to see a guy who's shooting 44% from three now take just three shots in the game. But that's what happened, and look, I... I think the middle of the second half was really the killer, and this they really had a great chance at, at, at taking this game. Other things you guys saw or observed from last night? I mean, I don't know. We've touched on we've touched on a lot of it. It's it's just kind of been it's frustrating because uh, you just you feel like a broken record um, on some level with sure this team. And I, I mean, there's a lot better. There's a lot of better things to touch on. You just talked on, talked about Miles Studi's. Uh, three-point shot and hopefully he carries into I mean I'm already thinking about next season even though we have the NIT and hopefully some or I knock on wood um but some some exciting stuff to come but I don't know there's there's definitely some promise in this program which makes me really happy and you know they're getting SEC wins they're competitive in these games and memorials rocking so I guess I should be really just grateful but it definitely feels like they're just they're just always so close to getting over the hump and I just want to see it happen because it always you know at the end of the year we just end up saying man the whole year they've just been hampered by this and often it's injuries but I just I want to see them really show out these next couple games as <laughs> always I want to see them show up but I want to see them finish the season strong and going off of that what I saw was something that didn't surprise me you look at the numbers, I think this is what's good. You lose by two points, and now, and now people that didn't actually watch the game and are just looking at the box score actually know that Vanderbilt competed. But to me, it wasn't that much different than the Auburn game. When Vanderbilt yeah. traveled to Auburn, look, you lost by 14 points, but I think Jabari Smith had his mo- the most amount of points. They had 94 points. I mean, Walker Kessler had the one of the most amount of rebounds he's had that, season, that, that game. But Vanderbilt competed. They were... Down four at half, was were really there until like the last two minutes of the game. It it never was really a blowout, and Vanderbilt has always been able to compete. But it's like getting that national attention so you can get an NIT bid, so you can get a decent ranking in the maybe in the in that tournament, have a better opportunity in in the years to come at an NCAA birth so so it's it's those type of experiences it was just very frustrating that Vanderbilt couldn't pull it out obviously Jordan missed that layup but uh, I, th- I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans are replaying that play so many times with a lot of questions in their mind you know what the at, at the same time they actually aren't I, I've been saying you know 
hopefully NITL stuff. But you know what? Like, hopefully this is a, just a learning experience, and maybe they can make a run in the SEC tournament. I mean, they're not they're not really dead yet because it's at the end of the day, the fate their fate is in their own hands if Absolutely. they can win down the line. So I hope that this instead of just the disappointing play that might have costed a berth down the line turns into the thing that Jordan Wright learns, you know, like he learned <laughs> next time to finish it or or we'll hit Studi next time or all this stuff and that we're talking about how crucial this was as a turning point late in the season rather than a, a disappointing play that ended the season. Agreed on all fronts, guys. I think uh, spot on. I think it's interesting to compare it to the Auburn game because I do agree. I think this had a really similar feel yet. Alabama didn't shoot out of their minds. Um, Vanderbilt really did hang in this game. In terms of a season check-in here, I mean, Vanderbilt's sitting at 14-13, and 6-9 in the SEC with three games to play. Um, they'll head to Mississippi State, then they'll host Florida, then they'll head back to Mississippi to play Ole Miss. I think an NIT bid is only uh, relevant if they can get over 500, um, and the way they could do that is by going 2-1, if they go two and one in these final three, they guarantee that at sixteen and fifteen. But still, even then, an at-large bid in the NIT is not necessarily guaranteed. I like them to win two games in this final three. I think Florida's a team at home that they could beat, especially with the energy that they had in Memorial Gymnasium yesterday. I really like them to beat Ole Miss. Ole Miss is really struggling. Kermit Davis is on the way out, in my opinion. Mississippi State's going to be a tough game. I don't know that they beat both Mississippi State and Florida. What do you guys got? Final three games. I think Vanderbilt wins, beats Mississippi State and Ole Miss, and falls short to Florida. I just don't see Vanderbilt winning three consecutive games, but you never know. This could be a learning experience, and they build off of that. Um, it is important to to realize that I believe the Florida game's in Nashville. It is. Um, that that's that's really important. I think if it, I think if it was in Gainesville, I, I would be more pessimistic, but. Um, yeah, I see Vanderbilt going 2-1 and one in this stretch and SEC tournament having a decent uh, chance to uh, make a run. Yeah, you know, just throw out analytics and here's a vote of confidence. I'll, I'll say 3-0 and to break from the path and, and give a little surprise to this uh, Vanderbilt squad. There you go. I think Vanderbilt should come out with a lot of energy on Tuesday against uh, Florida. I mean, that that's a team, that's their worst loss of the year, really, is, is to yeah, Florida and Gainesville. Ugly. Um, so I, I really don't see a reason why uh, Vanderbilt can't take that game. I'm excited to see Liam Robbins against Colin Castleton. I think that'll be a great matchup and one that I think Robbins is a better player. I will put that out there right now. Time to move to the Diamond where the Vandy boys are underway. We're excited about baseball season here on West End, and in their first three, they took one game, the season opener, uh, over number 7 Oklahoma State. Fell in their next two, um, but... As we've seen with this team, there's a lot of moving parts. Whether it be the rotation or a lot of different position players, Tim Corbin's got a lot to play with, but still a lot to figure out. So we have plenty of talk about on that end. We're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. Yesterday's game on Tuesday against North Alabama got canceled. We'll see if they squeeze in tonight's game against Evansville. I'll be over there and providing some coverage for you guys. But Guys, first impressions of this Vandy team. Andrew, you were there on Sunday. I mean, what do you think stood out? Uh, obviously, on Sunday, they took the loss 7-5. to five. Thomas Schultz gave up a couple of runs in that ninth. What stood out to you immediately about this squad? Yeah, I mean, going the, the Sunday game, you, you look at Holton. Um, he, he's a, he's a first-year pitcher starting against the number 7 team in college baseball. Sheesh. You can't <laughs> compare that to high school ball. And there was the fourth inning where Vanderbilt let... Um, 
let up three runs, and that's kind of where it all kind of fell apart. And then they were playing catch up the whole game. Um, Christian Little had an, had an appearance in the fifth inning, which was good. Really, nothing went wrong. Uh, he just let up one hit, but just to it was kind of like you were saying, a lot of moving parts. He played just to um, improve and get another inning under his belt. But what I saw from the hitters and what I saw from just overall, there 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 is a lot of rust on their bats. There's yeah, a lot of rust. I think that's true. <laughs> and Vanderbilt has never played like a top ten team in a series, and as long as I can remember, like the opening series, it's usually like teams like in Evansville sure. playing the first series. So I think it's a good experience. I mean, yes, it, it's it's a very tough way to lose how Oklahoma State's runs, it was, it was 5-5, and then they go in a two-run two, uh, two ninth inning. But the, the game was really lost to me in the fourth inning, and it, it's a lot to improve on. I, I really like how Vanderbilt and Corbin scheduled this game because it, it gives you a really tough opponent and a reality check in February, which you don't always get in baseball. Yeah, it really shows you what you have really early because you're basically throwing your team to the fire in a lot of ways. I thought Carter Holton showed that he is going to be electric very soon. I think we all saw some freshman moments from him, but his fastball is absolutely terrific. He looks poised. He lo- he works fast. I think all the things that Tim Corbin has said about him this spring are really spot on. It was interesting that Christian Little only went one inning deep. Thought he might have given some more. Um... I asked Corbs about it, and he said that was the plan the whole time. They just, okay. they just wanted him to like get another inning under his belt, and, and he wasn't he wasn't planning. They weren't going to plan to play him. It was just because Carter had such a inconsistent fourth inning and I think like you were saying Carter's really good he's just he's just very raw right now sure sure and uh, look I covered the Friday game and I think I had similar observations I really think this pen can be really special um, if they figure out who can be in it Um, Hunter Owen gave them a couple good innings this weekend Nelson Berkwich um, Jack Anderson Grayson Moore all pitched no hit innings in game two I think they've got a lot of different parts here if they can just slot them in properly but obviously, talking about the lineup, the lineup was was tough this weekend. I think your biggest hole obviously looks like Carter Young and Parker Nolan going two of twenty one at the dish. Yeah, uh, I mean, th- there's some definitely encouraging things with uh, McIlvain and uh, Riley's performance. Um, and on top of that, I think as the season goes on, you see Carter Holton settle into his role a little bit. So, like you guys said, I don't think there's really any cause for panic here. I mean, starting off against you know a num- number seven team, really at this point, it's it's uh, it's almost it's a toss up in many ways of how they come out. I could have seen either team uh, pull ahead with the two one, and I don't think either of them would have been really too concerned um, with anything. But uh, definitely some encouraging stuff. I think they'll need to rethink, uh, you know, how they're playing Maldonado and and maybe kind of. Who's who's in that DH spot? But Bulger gave some some strong games on Friday and Sunday, going two for four and on each day. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's definitely still some people who veterans who need to knock off that rust. I think the Schultz thing as a closer, also speaking of veterans, is interesting to me. I'm not sure how I feel about that. It seems like Schultz is a guy Corbin's never been really able to place properly. He started he he started a lot of midweek games, I believe, or a couple midweek games last year, then settled into kind of a long reliever role. I'm not sure where he really shapes up exactly. What do you think of him? I thought he he was like he's solid, but I think it's not like they can just hand out that starting position and I think he's like you were saying he's 
not quite like your starter, but a little bit better than your typical closer. So he's right. kind of in that middle ground. I want to just go back to the hitters and sure. with the two or twenty one. What do you guys think about Parker Nolan? Do you do you like him starting in these weekend series games? I I just it just it seems like I think we were talking about it off air. It seems like there's a sense of an allegiance um, with with Corbin there. Yeah, I kind of I kind of see that. I think Nolan's a guy who has done it at a high level, but then is really inconsistent. Shows you some opposite field power, obviously, but then he's got errors. I think that whole infield really struggled with errors, which is not is not good and. Brings us back to last year's College World Series when there were errors all over the field. So that's really concerning. I'd like to see Davis Diaz get a little action over at third base, the star freshman. I think um, Vastine is a guy who started at first over the weekend, but is another guy who has played all over the infield. Actually, today, I believe that um, Diaz is going to get in the lineup. I'm not sure where he's going to play um, just yet, but I do know he's going to play. I saw it on the stat broadcast. Looks like, yep, he's slotting in at third base today. So that'll be interesting to watch. But yeah, Nolan's a guy who I'm not sure where he slots in. It looks like he'll play first base today, which is interesting. Um, I think I like what Corbs did with the first base in the catching situation. I think having Jack Bolger in the lineup is going to be important. He had a couple of hits. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I think it's important, obviously, to have Dominic Keegan in the lineup no matter how slumpy he is to start the year. But I don't know. I'm mixed on Parker Noland. Yeah, well, I mean, these midweek games will be uh, important to just kind of start trying out people in different places. Um, I don't think you can discount the value of a, a veteran for a typically uh, young Vanderbilt team. Uh, they've got some guys there who have experience, but um, but I don't know. Well, I think people come back around. I, I mean, like... Uh, Leneve last year, I think, st- yeah. started a, a little cold, if I'm not wrong, and then really came on toward the end of the year. So you never really know what you're going to get um, in terms of, at, you know, the beginning, maybe he's a little cold, but he's definitely got the potential to heat up. So uh, we'll see. Maybe Corbs decides to go with the hot hand at first and, and bring him back in the lineup slowly. Uh, I definitely think also midweek games down in the kind of midseason uh, is a good place to get batters, maybe to get their bats a little warm. And like you said, midweek games are an, exp- an an opportunity to experiment. I'm gonna really excited to see a lot of young pitchers play and a lot of young yeah. players. But also, like we were saying, seeing players play in different bases, maybe players that are not gonna be playing in those defensive positions in those conference games later in the year, and just against those better opponents later in the year. Um, but what I'm really, what I was really surprised about was in the post was the post game press conference with Coach Corbin after the game. That was the least mad I've ever seen him after a loss. <laughs> and I was talking to the other journalists about it, and they all were in agreement because that when you lose to Oklahoma State this early in the game, this early in the year with three really good hard-fought battles, it's only a great experience and a great yeah, learning it's opportunity. It's only a positive. So that, that's what I took from it, and I think they will go out in a tear in these weekday series and uh, will only look to build on. Um, What's already very strong. I was impressed with Spencer Jones also. Five hits, had three doubles, like looks the part out in right field, has wheels for his size. Like, I think that's a guy who you can stick in the middle of your lineup. But I think this lineup's going to struggle without a true home run hitter. And I don't know who that's going to be. Tate Colwick had a homer in game one, and he's got some power. 
Um, but it's got to be Carter Young. I really think it does, and and we'll see what he can bring this week uh, during some of these midweek and then uh, the series against Army. But was optimistic about what Spencer Jones brought and was optimistic about uh, Chris McElwain. I think um, he's a guy who, you know, threw 68% strikes, uh, struck out, I believe, seven batters, um, walked only one in one of his longest outings of his career. He worked quickly, got a lot of putouts, um, and and pitched in a lot of full counts, but got out of them. So I thought that was impressive. He looked pretty poised. And then Patrick Riley was firing absolute heat. Like, he was topping out 97-98, and I completely expect him to be a weekend starter in a matter of time. I, I can't begin to uh, understand what kind of Corbin's, you know, thought process was behind the starters in Week 1 and Weekend Series 1, but I think if Vanderbilt fans know anything, they know to uh, trust Tim Corbin. But I, th- I think that goes back to kind of just warming up the arms. At the end of the day, I... <laughs> It wasn't like he wasn't trying to win these games, but I definitely think there's there's an extent to where you ramp up into your full season form, and you don't want to have um, McIlvain go out and and pitch you know pitch seven innings and and in his first outing. I think I think the the four and four split that he did was pretty good, and, and Riley will need to keep his you know keep his pitches in check. Four four walks isn't amazing, but you know these guys are all. All getting into the real the real deal here. I know obviously they play they play games before, but it's different when you're playing the number seven team overall. Um, so I don't I think giving them small doses at first of good teams before SEC play and and before some of the uh, midweek games that they're going to get is good. And and also what I, what I noticed on Sunday is these these Vanderbilt freshmen needed this experience more than anyone because. You know, they had a late run rally in the bottom of the eighth when they were down 5-3, and, you know, all the fans were doing the jump around, and everyone was getting excited, and it went back to 5-5. And you could tell defensively they were not grounded because there was so much going on, and they weren't able to, like, put that in the inning before them, and they, it was still they were still exciting and playing as if, you know, they, they had just had that, that big run. And I think it's those type of experiences, like you said, Sam, that are going to be really important down the line. Absolutely. Vanderbilt going to get back in action against Evansville tonight. If you're listening to this, it might have already been over, but hopefully they get that one in. And then a home series against Army. And then after that, quick one against Central Arkansas and then a trip to Hawaii on the horizon. So a lot of baseball coming up and we'll have you covered. We have spring break coming up in just two weeks, so we'll jump back into it after that. But Lots to be done on the baseball beat, and we still got basketball going on. Shea Ralph and her Commodores have continued fighting tough loss this past weekend to Ole Miss, but they'll be back in action on Thursday, which is tomorrow, for senior night against Florida and the final game of Shea Ralph's first season. And hey, shout out to Vanderbilt Lacrosse. Oh, huge win over Notre true, Dame, true. and now they're ranked. So we shout should out absolutely Vanderbilt shout out Vander- Vandy Lacrosse. Maybe we'll have some uh, Vandy Lacrosse uh, guests later on in the spring, but they've been awesome lately. Frankie Sheehy has been bringing you guys coverage on our website, so tune into that. But big win over ranked Notre Dame this past weekend after a really, really busy weekend on West End. Big comeback, yeah. Big comeback. We appreciate you guys following along to all of our work on VanderbiltHustler.com and appreciate the listen. We'll talk to you next week.